don't know if anyone else gets like uh, God bumps or whatever when you start watching that. That's, that's a real theologically technical term that I did not learn at Bethel Seminary. <laughs> um, I, jeez, uh, that's really uncommon, guys. I just want you to be thankful for a second to have leadership like that in your church. Uh, because in 15 years of ministry, working with all kinds of different pastors in different places, it's rare to find that sort of uh, generous vision that is not about making your own name great, it's about making God's kingdom great. And, um, and so that, honestly, is one of the reasons why I wanted to work with Pastor David and, and Pastor Dave. Uh, because to me, I was looking for people who had that similar vision. I, like David, did not grow up in a church. Uh, for me, going to church was a weird situation. My mom would drag me, start dragging me to church at about 11, and I went kicking and screaming. And the first experience that I had in church made no sense. It was so foreign. We would go to this old church building, and my mom would just bawl her eyes out through the, throughout the, the music time. So I had no idea what was going on. And then they would take all the kids out, and the kids my age all looked like they were dressed for family pictures. Like, ties and vests and, like, three-piece suits. And, like, it was just kind of funny. And I'm wearing my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shirt, you know. Um, and we would go into this basement uh, room in the bottom of this church, and I had this really old Sunday school teacher. Nothing, no, look, this is not, I'm not ageist. I'm just saying. Like she, she had like coffee breath and like blue hair. This is just my recollection of it. It may be off a little bit. And the first thing we did when we went in is they had all these desks set up, and in each desk was a book. And so I sat down, and the first thing they said is, we're going to do sword drills. And I was like, Swords are sweet. This church is awesome, right? And, but what I realized is there was no sword demonstration that was about to happen. Then the teacher stood up in front of the room and would call out a random word and two random numbers, and everybody in the room seemed to know what was happening except for me. And I watched as we did sword drills, and there was this one annoying girl, you guys all know who I'm talking about, who won every single one of these things, wherever she would flip through the book, find a verse, stand up, and do the thing, and then they would give her candy, and I was like, I want candy. What is going on? She's not even dressed to eat candy. I want that. And I didn't know what was happening. And so my experience with church was that this was just a very foreign place, didn't make a lot of sense. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. I, I went there for a year or two, and I just really hated the whole experience. Um, it's not easy being 11, you know, and so when you're in an environment that doesn't make any sense to you, no one seems to care about you, no one's paying attention to the fact that you're lost, it just was a really terrible experience for me. And then we moved, and uh, my mom, when we moved to a new condo, she started walking with these ladies in our condo complex, and they immediately invited her to come and walk with them in the morning, and they immediately invited her to church, and she took me to this church. It was in a middle school. This was 1993, uh, a little church in Meriden, Connecticut called Door of Hope Community Church. It was probably 150 people. Uh, we pulled up the first day, and there was a trailer outside. And I walked into this, and I walked into a uh, school auditorium, and I was like, what is going on here? This doesn't seem legit. Like, does, did anyone sanction this? What is happening? And the first day that I was there, the youth pastor came up to me and, uh, you know, after service, and he had three really cute girls in tow. He was smart. And he, 
And he said, hey, Wednesday, I want you to come to my house for youth group. We're going to do basketball. We're going to eat pizza. And also, these three girls will be with us. Would you like to come on Wednesday? And I was like, yes, I would. Hi. My name is Mark. How are you? (laughs) And, you know, I went to his house. And this is the first time in the home of somebody where anyone ever really explained the gospel to me. So I'd been going to church for a year, and I'd showed up at this weird, unauthorized church. And the first time someone explained the gospel, in the first week at youth group, he explained the gospel, and I went home and thought about it. The next week, he shared the gospel again. I went home and thought about it. The third week, when he shared the gospel, I was like, count me in. This makes so much sense to me. Like, I had been searching for something and been lost and didn't even know exactly what it was. I was an angry kid who was frustrated and processing a lot of stuff in my life. And so, in that moment, when the gospel was presented to me, it made perfect sense. And so, on my knees, in the middle of my youth leader's living room, with 15 other kids in the youth group, laying hands on me and praying over me, I accepted Jesus in the fall of 1993. And I'll just tell you that my life has never, ever been the same after that moment. If you are somebody who walked in today and you feel like this is an unauthorized church service, you're in the perfect place to hear God's message of love for you. Uh, I believe that sometimes churches, the buildings, can be a barrier for certain people. There's a lot of trappings that come with it. There's a certain uh, perspective that you get when you're in that building you start to feel like the church is a place and it's not a people. Church happens in people's living rooms as much as it happens in any sort of building. Uh, And this church is a perfect example. When I walk in here, I think the barriers for a new person to walk into a building like this are gone. They're walking into a school. They're walking into a gymnasium. You know, they're walking into a place that's familiar to them. And now they can hear the gospel And they don't have the trappings to try to peel back all the layers of religiosity and all the language and all the stuff because people here care about those who are lost. And that is the same philosophy that we have at Pursuit Community Church. We are going to be starting in the fall. uh, We're looking to launch November 11th. And I have to tell you, after meeting with people from renovation for the past two weeks, you know, I've had, actually, since July 1st, I've had three to five appointments every single day to sit down and share the vision of our church with people. And it has been one of the most draining things in the world. I'm an extrovert, and still having that many meetings a day is just, it's tough. But it has been so incredible to watch people from renovation respond. And even some of the people who are like, hey, I need time to pray about this, think about it, I can see in their eyes that they are excited about what God's doing with Pursuit. And so I just want you to know, this is so uncommon. I mean, this sort of vision is uncommon. This sort of response is uncommon. This sort of leadership in a church is uncommon. You know, Pastor David said there, I don't know if I'll ever lead a church of 3,000. Well, I don't see how he won't. You know, when you're generous and you want to build God's kingdom, I I don't think God holds back any resources. He opens up the floodgates and invites people into that. And so thank you for what you guys have created here and for what you've done for us getting off the ground and getting ready to go. And it literally means everything to us um, to have people on our side backing us, sending people to help, sending funds to take care of some of the expenses, and really coaching and resourcing us. And you think, like, you know, you're going to get used to hearing this because you're going to have people next year coming back and saying, hey, we're going to start one in this place, and we're going to start one in this place, and we're going to start one in this place, and you're going to get another chance 
to respond in the same way. And so I'm kind of in love with renovation right now. I'm just throwing it out there to you. Um, I'm not really sure where I was going with this whole sermon thing. Let's see here. Um, So I wanted to talk to you guys about the process of quitting your job and not knowing how you're going to figure stuff out and following God into what is an essentially a scary proposition where you need more faith than you think you have. And I want to talk to you about what that looks like. For me, when I, got, I was, when I started this process, at the beginning of this process, I was just really asking God, what does it look like to lead a compelling life? You know, I don't, I don't know how you, you feel when you open up the book of Acts, but when I open up the book of Acts and I read about the first church, about the people who started this movement thousands of years ago, I see people that are absolutely full of faith. I see people doing crazy things. I see people who are willing to risk everything they have, their lives, in fact, to, to be 100% in on what Jesus has called them to do. And they lead these incredibly compelling lives. But when you start to ask that question, right, what would it look like if I were written into Acts? I don't know about you, but I feel convicted. I feel like if there was another chapter to Acts and it was about my life, people would be like, this is boring. This guy doesn't get it. Why won't he say yes to Jesus? What is he doing? And so I started that that question about a year ago, like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I was coming to a time where I knew being in youth ministry, for me, it was starting to near an end to what God was calling me to. And I knew he might be calling me to something new, but I knew it wasn't church planting. I was pretty clear that that was a scary proposition that seemed insane, and people don't do that when they have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old to think about, right? And my, my decisions affect three other people all the time. And so if I make a decision to take a risk and to step out in faith, for me, I basically had this conversation with God. God, if you're calling me to church plant, you need to push, right? I want to live this compelling life, and I want to have this faith, and I want to be, you know, like the first uh, people who started the church in Acts, but, but Jesus, you're going to have to give me all the faith that I'm going to need, because I'm not sure I've got what it takes. And slowly over time, God started to push me in that direction. And he started to bring some people into my life who could explain to me how this would work. And he started to give me this heart again for churches that plant other churches. And he started to bring me into a connection with churches that were doing that, like renovation. And he started to show me what it would look like to be the kind of church that would do that, would actually get up on its feet and within its first three years plant its own church. That's our goal, by the way, at Pursuit Community Church. We're going to be right behind you. In fact, we might be partnering with you again in three years to launch another church. That's the heart behind what we're doing. And so I started to ask that question. If I was written into Acts, would it be uh, a worthwhile read? (laughs) That's a dangerous question to ask, by the way. Uh, I'm going to show you uh, a section today where Paul starts to talk about the decision-making process for him and how the Spirit leads him towards what it wants him to do. And sometimes when we give the Spirit that kind of control, it can be kind of scary. But I want you to know, if you want to lead a compelling life, if you want to do what God has called you to do, there's like an all-in kind of thing that has to happen to allow the Spirit to really put you in the place that He's called you to be. Now, if I was a, I don't know, a good pastor or speaker, I would probably have a sermon that had 
five points that all started with the letter L. You know, and we'd say, uh, how do we make great decisions, you know, and, and live a compelling life? We listen to wise counsel. We love scripture. We live one day at a time. Lethargy is the enemy. That's a weak one. Sorry. And loosen your grip on God's plan. And if I was a great, a great preacher, Baptist preacher, I would tell you those five L's, and you would write those things down, and you would go home, and you would put those on your refrigerator, and you'd be like, this, this is what i got to do this week. And next week, I'm going to go get five more cues. And... I'm going to try to do that. My, my goal today is not to give you more stuff to, to know or to think about. My goal is to encourage you to say yes to the Spirit. It's not an easy proposition. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it, so I'm going to try to break it down to what I believe God wants us to be thinking about on a daily basis. And I want to show you what Paul thought about living in the Spirit on a daily basis. Okay, and So I'm going to be in Acts chapter 20. Uh, I'm going to be in verses 22 to 24. I'm sure it'll be on screen or in your app, or you can pick up the Bible under your chair. Uh, and in this section, Paul is coming close to the end of his time uh, as a church planter. Let's just be honest with what he was, right? He was this incredible church planter. His mission was to go to places where the gospel was not present, to find people who would respond to the gospel, to build a small network of Christians and to leave the church in some sort of hands of leadership as he then went on to the next place. And as you read about his movement through the entire area, the known world at the time, there were times and moments where he listened to the Spirit, and it caused him to do things that were really crazy. Now, on his, this passage, he's on his way back to Jerusalem, and this may be one of the last times he's ever going to pass through this area. And he knows that if he wants to connect with the, uh, uh, the elders at Ephesus that he's going to need to try to connect with them right now because this is kind of the last chance he's going to get. And so he calls them up to a port that is close to where they live and says, hey, I'm going to be passing through. I'd love to see you guys. I want to check in with you. I want to connect. Now, they, they had done ministry together for years, hip to hip, right? Bringing the gospel to a place that didn't know what it meant to know Jesus. And so they were tight. I mean, you know, when you do ministry with people, when you're, when you're invested in God's plan in an area, you get close to people. I mean, as I've talked to people from renovation, the biggest problem with trying to come over to the new church plant is leaving the people of renovation. Like, they, they just love being together. And you know that when you do ministry, you, glow, you grow super close. And so Paul says to them, come up to the... Come up to the port, see me, let's, let's connect. This is the last chance that I'm going to have to see you guys. And so it says that they met together, that he shared that vision with them, that it was the last time he was going to see them, and that they wept. That's how close they were, that they wept because this was the last time that they were going to see them. And as Paul is putting like a bow on this whole thing, he kind of puts us into his mindset as he makes decisions. Now, I think this compelling life essentially breaks down to a whole lot of spirit-filled decisions that lead you towards what God wants you to be doing. Okay, and this is how Paul made decisions. So take a look at what he says. He says, And now, this is at the end of this time with them, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so this compelling life 
that we want to see that's lived out in Acts for Paul essentially comes down to a series of decisions that allows him to live in the Spirit. And so what do these decisions look like for us? This is really where I want to to help kind of open up some of this idea. And so the first idea is when we make a decision that leads us into this this compelling life, the first decision, the first idea is that these decisions are Spirit-dependent, right? From what he says in verse 22. Look what he says. And now, behold, right? I am going, sorry, let me get the right version. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Okay? He basically tells us that he's making this decision because he's compelled by the Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit. Now, earlier in Acts, he's traveling through and he has this plan of where he's going to go. And he gets to the edge of one place and it says the Spirit compelled him not to enter into a certain country, but to turn and go in a different direction and enter into another country. So he's living on a daily basis asking the Spirit, what is it that you want me to do? And I don't know about you if you're a planner, you know, like if you ever take a trip and you've got like all the steps marked out, you know exactly how far you're going to go on day, where you're going to stop, where, you know, the next day you've got like all the stuff, Monday we're going to do this, Tuesday we're going to do this, and you've got the plans. Well, Paul had those plans all laid out, and the Spirit said, nope, we're going to go in this direction. Like when was the last time you stopped doing something you planned to do because the Spirit led you to go in a different direction? I have to ask myself that question, and it's not an easy thing to think about. To live every day, to have this compelling life, you need to be compelled by the Spirit. These decisions need to be Spirit-dependent. This word compelled, it's translated in one translation as constrained, another as compelled. It's this idea that the Spirit starts to lead us, to tug us in a direction. It's almost as if there's a rope around us and the Spirit is sort of pulling on us to, to go in a certain direction. How often we've got our plans made and we know what we're going to do. You know, in my case, I could be a youth pastor for years and it was a comfortable job and I loved doing it. And we had tons of kids and things were going amazing. We had lots of amazing leaders. The ministry was fulfilling. But God was just saying, like, come out of that. I got something else. I need you to listen. It's time to go in this direction. And it's, it's not easy. Now, I didn't realize this, but I started to think about this as um, my kids have now started to think about church planning, too. We had this family meeting where we discussed, hey, our mission as a family is to reach people who are far from God. We'll leverage whatever we have. Our kids started processing that. Now, I didn't realize how much our kids were consumers in the church that we were at. They would go there because they had an awesome slide and a really great ball pit, and they would see all the people that they wanted to see, and church was doing something for them, and they would go there expecting to get something from church. They would go there because they wanted it. So I had this conversation with my son who preached this sermon at Grace a couple of months ago, and he heard me talk about this word. The word translates to uh, deo honuma, this compulsion, this being compelled or constrained by the Spirit, it translates to deo honuma. And so my son was sitting in the sermon when I gave it, and a couple of days later he asked me, he said, Dad, what does deo honuma mean? And I explained to him, you know, that's when the Spirit starts to tug on us and pull us in a direction, and we have a choice. Well, are we going to fight the Spirit? Are we going to hold our ground? Are we going to lean back and pull on the rope? Or are we going to let the Spirit start to gently pull us in the direction that he He wants us to go, and my son is sort of processing all that. He never stops talking, and so when he stops talking, something is really happening, right? And so he says to me, Dad, 
what do you think the Spirit is pulling us towards? And I, I said, well, Miles, what do you think? And he didn't even flinch. He said, I think maybe God's pulling us towards people. It seems to me that people are the most important thing to Jesus. Seven years old, I'm like, oh, damn, God. Oh, I'm driving down the road like, oh, okay. Yeah, buddy, that's, that's, uh, you're absolutely. And then he says, Dad, when we open the new church, do you think that we can invite all the families in my, at my school? As a kid who's gone from going to church because of what it does for him to thinking about church as a place for lost people, and we get it wrong. Church is not a location and it is not a building. Church is us. We are the church. We are called to be compelled by the Spirit every day into things that get us into trouble, put us in danger, make us uncomfortable, that God is calling us into these conversations and these moments and these decisions that honestly like seem crazy to the rest of the world. But when we start to understand that the church is a group of people and it doesn't matter where they meet or where they are, that Jesus is with them and he's calling them to act on his behalf to grow his kingdom, we start to go from being a consumer who goes to church to get something to being a part of the church who's now bringing Jesus to wherever they are. This is a major shift in what it means to be a Christian. And I didn't realize that we were setting our kids up in the other scenario, to be consumers. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been to the real ocean. It's, it's kind of far. Uh, I like to make fun of Minnesotans because the lakes are not the real ocean. I'm from the East Coast. I grew up on the East Coast. And so uh, there was a, a couple years ago where I went to Martha's Vineyard uh, on a trip. It was actually a mission trip, one of the best mission trips ever. Uh, we did vacation Bible school on the beach every day. It was so cool. Um, but one of the days when we went to swim, it was a warning, right? There was an undertow. There was a current where if you go, went too far into the water, it would kind of pull you out. And what they teach you in, uh, out there around the ocean is if you get sucked into a current, you can't fight it. Just let go. Unless you're Michael Phelps, you are not swimming back to the shore, Okay? And so if you get sucked into a current, you just sort of let go. And hopefully the current will take you down the beach and spit you out somewhere. And at that, at that moment, when you call for help, hopefully Michael Phelps is on the beach and he'll swim out and save you. Okay? That's what it looks like. And it's a terrifying thing to lose control of yourself in that kind of a, a, of a current. The power that you are under is just massive and overwhelming. And as I was starting to think about this idea, I, th- I think there are a lot of Christians in the church in the United States who are perfectly comfortable living on the shore, living in ankle-deep water, living in knee-deep water. But there are very few Christians who are willing to say, I'm going to go completely out and let God do whatever he wants to do with me. And when he starts to tug and to pull, you don't go in the direction that you thought you were going to go, and you end up far away from safety, but it's right where he wants you to be. And so these decisions are spirit-dependent. They're also humble. Take a look at what he says, verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem 
So he says, and now, this is what I know. I don't know much, but I know right now I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm compelled by the Spirit. Sorry, let me make sure I have the right version here. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Um, yeah, so I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. So he basically says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I don't know anything other than what he's calling me to do right now. Now, if you're a planner, again, you don't love this idea because you've got a plan. My wife is a planner. I am not. This is, this is how we operate in our marriage. So for me, I'm like, this is sweet. I know what to do right now. This is what I can do. And she's like, no, 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 no. We have this planned out. We know exactly what's going to happen here. This is not the kind of thing that we want to mess around with. But Paul lived in such a way that he made his decisions moment by moment and didn't even know exactly where the next step was going to be and only that the Spirit was going to lead him to those places. I think sometimes when it comes to listening to God and making big decisions, there are kinds of two kinds of extremes of people, right? There are people who know exactly what's going to happen. And in fact, sometimes those people will pull out the God card and be like, God has called us to do this. And they'll use God as a way to not be open to what he's actually doing. They'll say, I know exactly what the plan is. I know exactly where things are going. And I'm going to telegraph this whole thing out. By the way, James talks about this in his book, if you want to go take a look. And he says, like, you guys should really take it easy on, on knowing what's going to happen in the future because you aren't even guaranteed a future. God gives you one by his own grace. Right? But then there's this other end of the spectrum. You have people who are paralyzed when it comes to decision-making. They can't make a decision. They think if, and by the way, this is, a, this is a, an issue for a lot of younger millennials and even younger than that, that essentially a lot of you guys, your parents made your decisions your entire life, and now all of a sudden you have the entire world out there in front of you, and you can't say yes to something because you're unsure if it's going to ruin your whole life. That's like a real anxiety that exists for a lot of young people. Sometimes we just have to make a decision. Sometimes we just have to say, okay, Spirit, I know what's right in front of me, and I'm going to do that thing. In the immortal words of Mr. Miyagi from the 1980s movie Karate Kid, no, not, the, not, the, not the Jaden Smith trashy thing that came out a couple years ago. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, when Daniel's son is making the decision to become his... Uh, his, uh, you know, Padawan, his, his uh, I'm, I'm mixing my references now. Uh, when he becomes his mentor or whatever, he says, yeah, sure, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll come train. He says, no, Daniel, son, these decisions are like being on a road. You, you can be on right side, you're okay. You can be on left side, you're okay. But if you, if you walk down the middle, I believe he says, you get squashed like grape. You can go Google that later and be like, wow, he is terrible at quoting movies. God sometimes calls us just to make the decision that's in front of us and that it doesn't need to ruin your whole life. You don't need to have anxiety around it. But sometimes a decision is better than indecision. And for those of us who have our whole life planned out and aren't flexible at all, it's time for us to let go of some of that stuff and ask the Spirit, what is it that he's calling us to do and to be open? humble about those decisions, okay? And so they're, they're humble, they're spirit-led, they're also ready for resistance. So look what he, look what he says, and this uh, goes to verse 23. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me ahead. The only thing I know 
is that it's going to be really difficult, and I'm going to go through a whole lot of hardships. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we measure what the Spirit is calling us to do based on the success of how it goes. And we say something like, well, God must not have been in that decision because look how it turned out. And Paul says, I base these decisions on knowing the fact that I'm going to face hardship, knowing the fact that it's going to be difficult, understanding before I make this decision that this will not be an easy thing. It's not easy to live by the Spirit, to live a compelling life. You're essentially saying to the enemy, right, here I am, go ahead and persecute me because I'm going to follow the Spirit. There's nothing the enemy wants less than a Christian who's actually living every day of their life in the flow of what the Spirit is calling them to do. So you will face hardship. I mean, planting a church has not been an easy process. (laughs) It still continues to be full of hardships. There are difficult things that we're going through. Now, on one hand, we have incredible joy of watching people get the vision and be ushered into it. On the other hand, we're dealing with very difficult things that we're working through. It's not easy, but it is worth it. What is in play here is the eternity of people who don't know Jesus. When things get difficult, I'm telling myself, there are people in Moundsview right now who don't know Jesus, who in a year from now, in two years from now, in three years from now, will be baptizing as Christians in our church. That's what keeps us going through difficult times. And that's what kept Paul going through those difficult times. And the last idea is that these decisions are prioritized. And look what he says, verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There is a specific mission for each one of us. Paul knew what his mission was. His mission was to reach people who were far from Jesus. And specifically, his mission was to go and preach to people who were irreligious, who had no religion, who didn't grow up as part of the church. Right? So Paul's mission was not to do it in Jerusalem. It was to do it in the places where the gospel wasn't there already. He knew that. But in that statement, he shows that God has enough care for each of us, that he has called us to a specific thing. So what has God called you to? I think sometimes we break this down and we say, I want to live this compelling life, but I can't figure out what this looks like. And it seems so hard because I have to make all these huge decisions that make me, you know, just basically end my whole life and go in a different direction and follow this. But I actually think this breaks down into a whole lot smaller, easier uh, ways for us to follow Jesus. There are a lot of daily moments where we have a chance to be obedient to God. And in fact, living this compelling life is something that builds every single moment of obedience, puts us closer to living the life that Jesus has called us to live. And those moments could be very small in the beginning. It could be getting up and spending time with Jesus on your own. It could be reaching out to a specific friend that you know you're supposed to share the gospel with. It could be actually taking the conversation with somebody to a spiritual place. It could be small moments that build on top of one another that lead to huge ones. You don't need to know the end of the story to say yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to the thing that is right in front of you. 
And so living this life, this compelling life, is a lot more being obedient to Jesus in the moment than it is these humongous sweeping steps that take us in a completely different direction. For me, I know I said I had that conversation with God. You're going to have to shove me. And you know what he did? He shoved me just a little bit at a time. It was one more conversation. It was one more time spent in prayer where he urged me to think about it. It was one more thing that I read, one more article. I remember there was this one article I read. At the time, I was thinking about being a campus pastor at Grace or being a church planter. And for me, the decision was really difficult. One was a cushy job with a great benefits package that would be really easy. We would send two or three hundred people over to start a campus, and it would be like, this would be like a done deal. It would be like a, you know, open the box, and here's the church. On the other hand, it was like, I don't have any of the answers that I want. I don't know what to do. And I read this article. I was struggling through this whole thing, and I read this article. It said, don't hire a church planter to be your campus pastor. And I read that article, and I thought, man, I am just in so much trouble now. I cannot say yes to this. I have to say yes to this. And you know, I went back out looking for that article, and I cannot find it. I mean, I'm not saying that it like, did, doesn't exist out there. I somehow stumbled upon it and got lucky to read it. And now I can't even tell you where it was that I found it. But it was a being obedient step by step in the moment that caused me to get to a place now where I'm flying without a net and listening to the Spirit on a daily basis. You know, the other day I sat in a bank for an hour starting our accounts, which, by the way, you can give to us on our Facebook page. Uh, You may not be able to come, but feel free to give us money. (laughs) I sat in the bank for an hour, and I sat with this banker, and his name was Seth. And I thought, all right, Holy Spirit, here it is. I get a chance to spend an hour with somebody. Where is this conversation going to go? And the conversation turned from my story to why I would be crazy enough to start a church and whether this was sanctioned by anyone to what his story was and listening to him as he talked about, hey, I went out to the West Coast and spent some time out there. Now I'm back. I'm going to get married. We're starting a family. And so I asked the question, as I often do listening to the Spirit, to try to take it to a spiritual place. I said, hey, Seth, you know, when you have kids, you know, there's a time that comes when they start to open up to who God is and they start to ask you questions and you kind of have to have an answer to those questions. And I said, have you and your wife uh, gotten on the same page about what it means to know God and what you're going to say to your kids when they ask you those questions? And he was like, no, we haven't. No, we are not on the same page. I said, have you ever been part of a church? And he's like, well, I grew up in a Lutheran church. I'm not really sure. And I said, listen, do me a favor. Open up your calendar, November 11th. Write it down. It's our launch Sunday. I want you and your family to be my guest on November 11th and to come and just check us out. And I want to continue to have conversations with you to help you answer that question. Now listen, that's scary. But the Spirit is compelling us to do that all the time because we are the church. And we are called to listen to the Spirit in our everyday lives. I need to pray because I'm way over. <laughs> Leave it to the church planner to preach too long. Jesus.
We want to be obedient. We want to know what it, what it means to live like the first church lived. God, I want to live a life that is compelling. I want to live a life that is compelled by your spirit. God, would you just continue to show me what it looks like to be obedient to you each and every day? Would you use that small sacrifice of obedience to build your kingdom? God, would you help us all to see what it is that you're calling us to be obedient to? My guess is we know what that is. Most of us have something we've been avoiding or not wanting to be obedient to. God, would you give us this faith and the courage to say yes to you in small ways so that we can say yes to you in large ways? And God, would you just continue to change this world because there are hundreds of people here at Renovation and there will be hundreds of people down the road at Pursuit Community Church who will be listening to your spirit and living every single day as if you are uh, in charge of our lives and we are at your disposal to build your kingdom. God, would you use us? In Jesus' name, amen.